It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko. He's Bengals Sands. James Rapine not joining us today. He'll be back very, very shortly as we get ready to gear up for the Bengals' second game against the Baltimore Ravens. But we're going to push the film review up. Mike has had a chance to take in both sides of the ball. I've only had a chance to watch the offense so far, unfortunately. But that still gives us plenty to talk about because Mike's the guy we look to for our all 22 insights. And we're going to start with Joe Burrow and the offense, the wide receivers against the Denver secondary, which played in my opinion, the best game I've seen from a secondary against the Bengals this year. We'll see if Mike agrees. We're also going to talk about some play calling stuff the the tendency to run the ball on first downs in this game that the Bengals got into, especially in the second half. And then we're going to talk defense. The Bengals will be without Joe Bacci surfaces for the rest of the year. He's got a torn ACL. Logan Wilson not expected back this week. So it's going to be Marcus Bailey, Jermaine Pratt, and whoever the heck the Bengals can find at linebacker. And hopefully DJ Reader's on the field to make those guys look good. We'll talk about that to finish up the show. But we're going to start with Joe Burrow with this passing offense against a very disciplined Vic Fangio secondary. And unlike a lot of the challenges for the Bengals offense this year, Mike, the Bengals were not faced with the fierce pass rush this week. We'll talk offensive line in a little bit, but instead it was a secondary and a lot of fans on Twitter that I saw were unleash Joe, take the cap off Joe, let Joe cook. And when I watched the All-22, and my initial reaction was, I'm very curious to see what they tried. Because to me, my my initial takeaway from watching the All-22 was, it wasn't necessarily a conservative passing game plan. It was the downfield stuff, for the most part, wasn't there. There might have been a couple opportunities where the protection didn't hold up, which it generally did in the game, where he couldn't hit the deep pass when it might have been there. But there were a lot of early checkdowns. I mean, like early in the down checkdowns when he still had time and he just decided, you know what, the concept isn't there. I'm just going to take what I can get. What did you see when you looked at the passing concepts and the wide receivers against the Denver secondary? For the most part, and <clears throat> I'll say that Zach Taylor and Callahan and everybody, they got him a couple times. I think of the very first play of the game where they get that underneath throw to T Higgins because they know they like to carry vertical. So they get them to carry vertical and there goes T underneath. (laughs) Those guys are trying to follow the receivers up the field, but there are a lot of plays and it just felt like Vic Fangio knew the tendencies of what the Bengals like to do. They, what um, capping chase vertically while also they're trapping out routes. So you don't even get the high low on a corner. You get, 
a safety over top of Chase, and then underneath the corners ready to you throw that out route, it's probably six the other way. So <laughs> I remember that a few times. There was one play where everything came together where there was absolutely nothing because the only thing there was a mix and throw five yards behind the line of scrimmage because they trapped the out, they capped Chase vertically. They On the other side, they ran the race concept, which they like, which a dig from the most outside guy, number one, and inside he runs a whip or uh, sometimes he sits, but mostly it's a whip route. Whip route's covered, and the dig looks like it's going to be open, and then there comes Justin Simmons nailing down on the dig and just nothing there. And this wasn't a play that Joe Burrow ended up checking it down to Mixon. This was uh, he ends up escaping and throwing a out of structure play to CJ Uzoma for like five yards. Overall, he played smart football. He took care of the ball, which is something we've been pounding him for. He hasn't been taking care of the football the same way. And this is a game where you think the Denver offense isn't all that scary. So playing safe football is okay because eventually the Bengals will score and hopefully, I mean, this ended up, they could have only scored 11 and won the game. Uh, 15 won the game. It wasn't a boat race to 30. Vic Fangio, he's a head coach for a reason. He was the architect behind destroying Zach Taylor's or well, Zach Taylor's offense in a way, but Sean McVay right before Bill Belichick gets all the credit, but Vic Fangio was the first guy to really put that game plan together. So he knows him. He's taken care of him before. And yeah, just overall, the corners played so well. Like you said, the best game I've seen from a secondary, and they're put in good spots by their defensive coordinator. That's just, it happens. And the Bengals were able to score. Leak, awesome. It was weird that the Broncos are ready for almost everything, and then the Bengals come out, split back gun. Nine, <laughs> I'm just sitting there, oh, 989, here it comes. <laughs> they, they're not ready for it. It's like, Come on, that's the biggest tendency. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, they played a really good game. Yeah, I, I actually really like the leak play. Maybe we come back to that in a second. But I guess the, the question on my mind that you can probably answer is after seeing the way Denver defended, and, and they didn't play hardly any man, according to, uh, I think, a player. I think Jamar Chase might have said this. They are playing, playing a lot of three buzz, a lot more single high, I think, than maybe they've played this year. Were there things that you think the Bengals coaching staff could have done differently in this game? Or is this a Vic Fangio sometimes is just going to have your number because he's one. And, and this is true, by the way, he just is one of the best defensive coaches in the league period. But is there something that the offensive coaching staff, in your opinion, could have done differently based on what you were seeing during the game that is a realistic in game adjustment? I think, Sometimes you have to you have to break your own tendencies, and they did this against Baltimore. And I'm just going back to the they come out in quads, and you install the formation, have everybody lined up in quads. You understand exactly how this is going to work. Uzoma's on the backside, so honestly, just put an X there because you're going to trust Uzoma on an isolation route against a safety and a corner. Probably not Chase, maybe <laughs> Higgins, maybe, but not Uzoma. So that side's dead. And then the other side, they've got five guys over the four, and they run a screen. It's just yeah, they were completely ready for this play. Like there has to be a way to check out of it or just run something more creative because when they get in quads, it's another thing that I see and I go probably a screen pass coming. And I mean, Baltimore thought that I don't think that was quads, but they thought that ends up going for a touchdown with a fake screen. So break some of your own tendencies, get them on because leak worked because they're pounding down on everything. Play action crosser. They're nailing down the crosser. They're 
making sure they got outside leverage on anybody going out on a deep out or uh, the vertical is capped, everything like that. They've got the whole play action thing covered, but they're devoting so many resources to that that Tyler Boyd's just able to leak through there. They've got all the eyes on these receivers, and he goes sprinting down the other side for a huge gain. So awesome call at the time. Great play, one of my favorites. And you can't obviously call leak <laughs> multiple times because they'll just leave somebody say, Hey, you see Tyler Boyd uh, trying to run across the formation. He's probably not crack, cracking a linebacker. <laughs> Although that works with their duo play because that's what he does. He comes down and he tries to dig out linebackers and nickels. So it works with everything like that too. And you mentioned three buzz. It's not just three buzz. It's what Saban calls six buzz. And it's weird for offenses because it's a weak rotation. And normally you get the safety to come down strong safety. Passing strength comes down and he plays there. They do the opposite. They have usually Justin Simmons on the opposite side and he comes down and he's looking to take crossers, looking to uh, jump anything. And again, that's a big thing that they dealt with all game was they like crossers, digs, overs over the middle of the field. And they, the Broncos have a guy that takes that away. So what do you do then? And the cornerbacks on the outside, this is something that I think I've been asked, like, can other teams just replicate this? Like, sure. If you trust your cornerback on an Island with these receivers, like the Broncos did, because they took away the middle of the field like that. And on the outside, usually there was some cushion, but those guys were left pretty much one-on-one and they did a fantastic job. I thought that the communication and the discipline to hand guys off was also fantastic throughout the game from the Broncos. And and the last thing I want to mention here on the league play, and this is a great transition to early 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 down, first down play calling, I think that we're going to talk about a little bit in the offensive line is, Right before the league play, they come out in the same look, same personnel, and and Joe Burrow credited Taylor for this, and they got up to the line quick. It's a little bit different, but it's the same personnel, same same pre-motion alignment, and it works because they just ripped off like a 12, 15-yard run with Joe Mixon where Tyler Boyd cracked. And the very next play, it's the same look. It's the same play-action look, and you get the same exact reaction from the defense especially that that safety, like you said, the safety coming down to fill and instead Tyler Boyd's behind him and, and the safety's just toast for a touchdown. So I, I tweeted about that. I actually have a clip up on, on my Twitter feed that has the two plays back to back so you can see how the alignment is very similar and how the defense reacts in a similar way. So you guys can go check that one out if you want to get a visual for it. But we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the first down play calling that in my opinion, enabled that leak explosive play and why the Bengals did get into that pattern in the second half coming up next. But first, let's talk Boost Mobile, one of the sponsors of today's podcast. You listen to the Locked On Bengals podcast on Tuesdays or on Mondays for the power of knowledge imparted on you by Mike at Bengals underscore Sands when we've had a chance to look at the All-22. And you switch to Boost Mobile for the power of saving money. It's that easy. You're going to get three unlimited data lines for $30. 30 bucks. That's not very much. A month per line. And you're going to get a free 5G phone when you switch. So you can get all of the latest Lockdown Bengals episodes with Bengal Sands. It's all on America's largest 5G network. Boost Mobile gives you more power to save 
Free low, the free phone is limited to new customers and you just get one per line. Additional restrictions apply. Offers and coverage not available everywhere or for all phones and networks. See boostmobile.com for details. The Locked On Bengals podcast today is also brought to you by On Location. Super Bowl 56 is less than 60 days away. I think it's just about 56 days away, maybe 55 days away. And On Location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL, is the only place you can score a once-in-a-lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package that lets you select your exact seats at the Super Bowl. Choose from elite experiences featuring an exclusive pregame celebration with NFL legends. You're going to get five-star LA hotels, food by the great Wolfgang Puck. Visit onlocationexp.com slash SB56 for more information or search Super Bowl on location. That's onlocationexp.com slash SB56 or search Super Bowl on location to make sure you know everything you need to know about getting to the Super Bowl this year. All right, Mike, let's dive in to some tendencies. Uh, PFF Mike, not Mike Santagon and not, not Bengal Sands Mike, but PFF Mike tweeted today that in the second half, the Bengals called one first down passing play. That was leak. That went for a touchdown. In the second half outside of that, the Bengals decided to run the ball on first down. And to me, on its face, I'm thinking, oh, that's probably something that we should look at. That seems to me to be more of a problem than running the ball on third and eight. And and, and I think that there's still plenty of argument to pass the ball on the third and eight to ice the game. We're not going to get into that today. We covered it yesterday. But I watched those first down running plays in the second half. And in the third quarter in particular, and I think they only had two drives, two real drives in the fourth quarter. But in the third quarter, their first down running plays were going for six. 8, 15, 5. They were, they were getting good production in first down running plays. And the way the passing offense was going, in the context of the game, yeah, maybe you want to see the Bengals try to take a shot there. But from what I saw, the shots weren't there. The, the Denver defense, and, and I know they got one on leak, but that comes off the running game. What do you think when, when you have a chance to go back and look at their first down tendencies in this game did they make sense to you? Do you feel like there was an opportunity to throw the ball a little bit more? Or what was your takeaway there? I think this is the opportunity to throw the ball a tiny bit more. But like you were saying, the runs were working. And when your runs are gaining you five plus yards per carry, there was a sequence, I think it was in the third quarter, where it was back-to-back duo from P. Ryan for like 20-something. And then the next play, it's mixing on wide zone off the backside C-gap for another 12. So... Um, when you, when you're running like that, there's maybe the third play, you should run a little play action because the safety is probably going to come down a little harder after you gain 30 yards on two plays, but really they, the run game was doing fine. I think there is the opportunity not to run leak, but to just try to attack that safety. That's trying to fill. Maybe you run a real skinny post, try to get inside release and stack Darby or certain, although they played really well, try to stack them, get vertical because the safety on the other side is the one trying to get back there. And 
Uh, you could probably fit it in there, especially if the other guy's fitting the run. So there's some of that. But other than that, um, I'm fine with it. I <laughs> I don't know. I, I It set up the leak play, like you were saying. And both the wide zone, and that was what it, it was a wide zone before it was uh, the leak on back-to-back. It wasn't duo, even though Tyler Boyd also, <laughs> he comes down on duo like that to try to take out a safety or linebacker, whoever. Um set it up and it they did a good job moving the ball and setting it up. I feel like where they had issues is the passing game and maybe if you pass a little more your yards per attempt goes further down. It's kind of like a corner three shooter in basketball where is is he really that good or is it because he's just standing there and Steph Curry or LeBron can throw him the ball wide open. Yeah, and and maybe on the other hand they they find something that works and I guess that's the that's the question, right? Because Yes, the Denver defense is fantastic and and talented and disciplined in their secondary, but the big upside in this game, and perhaps a reason they were able to go with the approach that they went with, is the offense is not terribly scary. And, and, you know, you you deal with the running game in Denver, you're probably dealing with Denver. And the defense did that. And we're going to talk about the defense in a little bit. But before we do, let's make sure we hit the offensive line who had a pretty nice game. And I think that the cautionary, discretionary disclaimer I want to make here before we get into it too much is Denver's defensive line is not so good. And so don't draw too many conclusions about Jackson Carmen, about Fred, Fred Johnson, about Hakeem Adenergy, about any of these guys from this game, because it is important to note that they did face, this is probably the worst front four they faced. I don't know, in a long time, if not all year, but I, I thought they played well, Mike. And there, there were some ups and downs for Carmen. We, you talked about hand placement on your Twitter feed. I saw in the run game and it looked like he missed a couple blocks, but he also had some really great blocks. And I think you and I both tweeted one of those duo plays for Samaj P Ryan, which was, you know, chef's kiss perfection in my opinion. And so what, what did you see from the offensive line in this game and what lessons do you think we can derive given the disclaimer of the opposition? Both Carmen and identity looked pretty good. Fine. Somewhere around there. Um, I think PFF liked them more than I did, but it's, it's because they're a little bit more results driven and where I'm at with the process is these guys weren't all-star players and Carmen's able to get away with, hand placement it's his biggest issue to me is just his hands most uh, not most but a lot of time you see both hands outside of the shoulder pads and that's just you're giving up your leverage you get stood up and then also you get called for holding penalties a lot more when your hands are outside like that so all three of the big whammies right there but broncos don't have a guy that's going to cause that and calais campbell for the ravens he can do that um but I mean, really, they don't have a ton of guys either because Brandon Williams hasn't been playing the same uh, as he used to. See, I I think Aden and G. Carmen, are, I've been saying they're around the same level. I think they're a game like this. They're both fine doing this. And I also think we should look at Joe Burrow did a good job of both escaping sacks, pressure, getting the ball out before it got there, throwing the ball as he got hit so it didn't really count for a sack or anything like that. And he's still on time, delivered it as a strike so it didn't do as it wasn't a negative there's a lot that goes into it but there is reason to be excited because 
for me, Carmen, the reason I harp on his hand placement so much is because when he lands his strike, he has top 10% in the NFL, maybe like power in his strikes when they land. He's it's like a Brandon Brooks. And I don't want to compare the two because Brooks is all pro level guy for like five years, but that's what it feels like. He hits a guy and they're over like a gap and a half. He stops all movement when he's able to hit them. So that's why it's frustrating when he misses and both hands are outside and you just lost all your power. You're stood up and like, you know, you're a powerful dude. So I want to see him strike and move guys and be one of the most exciting guards in the league. And it's just wasted, uh, wasted opportunity and it'll get better over time. So I have hope. We, we hope it'll get better over time. Anyway, he is 21. And so th- there's certainly plenty of time for him to improve and we'll hope that's the case. You made a really good point there that I want to just hit on again before we go go to our uh, defensive segment to wrap things up, which is that Joe Burrow played fantastic in this game. I think I talked about it yesterday, but his ability to find running lanes, navigate muddy pockets, show that evasiveness. Again, not the best defensive line, but he punished Denver for turning their back to him a few times, picked up important first downs, looked really good maneuvering in the pocket, and had a heck of an LSU-esque off-script play that was called back for a Quentin Spain holding penalty. So uh, really nice game for Joe Burrow, and I, I thought Fred Johnson played pretty well too, and it's nice to have that in your back pocket when you need a right tackle, and they're going to need a right tackle going forward, and we'll see who it is against the Baltimore Ravens. Plenty of time this week to talk about that. We're going to get to the defense to wrap things up, but before we do – this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast brought to you by betonline.ag, who has you covered this season for all of the props, odds, and lines you could ever imagine more than ever before as football season includes concludes its march to the playoffs over the next three weeks. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of the sports action this season. Go check out the updated desktop or mobile website And when you sign up today, you're going to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's free money, as James Rapine loves to say. And we love getting our listeners free money. Use our promo code locked on. You'll get that 50% sign up bonus from basketball to football, hockey, boxing, and the UFC action. Don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers at betonline.ag, where you're going to find the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, Mike, welcome back. Let's chat defense. And the, the first thing that I think we talk about in this game is Trey Hendrickson, DJ Reader. And the second thing I think we talk about is linebacker where the Bengals are just beyond precariously thin at this point with the news of Joe Bacci tearing his ACL 
Logan Wilson's still not going to be ready. But the night and day difference when DJ Reader is on and off the field and this team's ability to defend the run, I think is where we start. And and then we can, you know, Trey Hendrickson had a great day. We'll talk about maybe what is and what isn't holding, or maybe we won't. Uh, but DJ Reader, Denver recognized the strategic importance of DJ Reader by staying in 11 personnel and trying to run with three wide receivers on the field. The Bengals generally responded to that with their nickel package, which took DJ Reader off the field. But DJ Reader, man, continues to be such an underheralded dis- d- difference maker on this team with what he can do to make those around him better, especially in run defense. Yeah. And the Bengals, they like to play too high split safety stuff. And they weren't able to get to that a lot last year because DJ got hurt. What they like to do is to utilize him as a unique chess piece. And he's a nose tackle head up over the center. And when he could play both a gaps, it's just a numbers thing. When you're too high, split safety, unless your safeties are in the fit, it's called max fitting, but we won't get into it. (laughs) Um, You've got, say, six guys and 11 personnel. The offensive line is five plus one. That makes six for them too. But with gap-wise, you're short one gap, so you have to make that up somehow. Maybe you have an Aaron Donald that can penetrate and get five yards in the backfield by the time the handoff has happened. But for the Bengals, that's – DJ Reader is going to stand up the center. He's going to play both gaps. He'll get a little bit of penetration, but he likes to play slow. Like I'm watching locked out. I'm peeking. And then once you declare you're going to this side, I'm shedding because it's so many centers. It's not just Lloyd Cushenberry, who I think is having a pretty decent year. Um, it's not just him. It's, it's like every center he goes against, he's able to lock them out. He's able to shed them whenever he wants. He's, he's been fantastic has a case for best nose tackle in the league, especially I think Vita Vea got hurt. So he was really one of his only competition. And uh, I mean, there's other guys out there, but yeah, he's so much fun to watch. And it's the unique chess piece where the Bengals can play even in the box. And they're basically plus one because DJ readers taken two gaps. He's taken these two and everybody else can fit off of it. And what that does is keep your linebackers clean. When they try to double him, he, grabs a hold of both and they're not getting any movement and none of them are climbing. So the linebacker just gets to flow over top and make a tackle. He's just the key to everything on the defense. And while I thought he was awesome, I wasn't expecting to be this important. Yeah. And and that's the, the big thing there, right? How important can a nose tackle be? Turns out maybe even a little bit more important than we thought. And that's something that we actually talked about, I think on this podcast in the offseason when it's it's not just a positional value of nose tackle, but it's what that allows you to do in the rest of the defense as you're talking about. It allows you to play too high. It allows you to get a numbers advantage where you don't actually have one or, or get the, the effect of a numbers advantage where you don't really have one. Let's talk Trey Hendrickson next before we talk linebackers. Garrett Bowles committed, I believe, two called holding penalties. And one of them saved a strip sack. And one of them was also late in the game in the fourth quarter that set the Broncos back. And Bengals fans are screaming for holding penalties the entire game. And there's a couple things here. One of them is Trey Hendrickson had a good game. And as a pass rusher, at least, he, he was good. Garrett Bowles is a fine left tackle. And Trey Hendrickson was giving him a hard time. Uh, he also had the half sack and turns out the sack streak is not officially continued. It's now 
a streak of games with at least a half sack, and he needs to get to 12 games to match Javon Curse, who has the 12-game record for games with at least a half sack. So a little bit different from the full sack streak we were hoping for for Trey Hendrickson. But the other thing to talk about here, just really, really quickly, we don't have to get into this too much, is the rip move and why it puts offensive tackles in a position where it looks like they're holding, even though the rule says that that doesn't count as holding most of the time. Yeah. So <laughs> this is something that's in the rule book and you could ask me, I have a picture of it that I have posted a few times, but when the defensive lineman rips to disengage and rip move is the most common move to disengage. So it's not just like Trey Hendrickson's doing something that's wrong on his part. It's, Take your arm, if you're on YouTube, rip upwards to try to move his arms off of you and keep your body clean. What that does when the offensive tackle has his hands on you is it moves them up and sometimes back. <laughs> and so it, you end up a little bit around the neck or maybe um, you've got one hand well outside of his frame. So these things can look like holds. And if, hey, if Trey Hendrickson just fired off the ball and he's just running that's a hold but when you force the action like that it's a little bit akin to when the wide receiver's downfield and a ball's underthrown so he jumps through him and it's like yeah if this was a well-thrown ball and the defender just stopped him from being able to catch it that's dpi but when you just jump through them and i mean hey wide receivers get this call all the time so you know maybe they should call a little bit for the lineman but when when you jump through him, it's not DPI, and when you rip to disengage, and he's got a little bit a little bit around the neck, and the other thing is that they have to keep moving their feet. They can't stop and try to hold you hold hold you there like that. And I think the thing that everybody was calling was a weak hold was Quentin Spain, but to me that was a hold because he stopped moving his feet. He turns sideways, and that's the worst part when you're a guard because it's just obvious that you've got him. Uh, you're holding him somehow because you're faced towards the official now. When you're faced forward and you've got your back to the official, they can't see it, everything that's going on. But when you're turned, it's your hands are obvious. Any move is obvious, and it's all about the feet too. you got to keep moving your feet. If you really don't want to get called, you have to keep moving your feet. And Bowles does credit to him. He does a good job after he gets in that position not – to stop his feet and just end up in a real headlock with him. He's got his hand there or arm around his neck, but he's still moving his feet and blocking. And that's the difference. And it, uh, it doesn't look right. And I'm sure it angers a lot of people, but it's the right call. And and it's happened to Trey Hendrickson all year. And if you're looking at it all year and you're wondering why hasn't Trey Hendrickson drawn a holding penalty every single play this year, because he uses a rip move a lot. Like, he, like, like Mike said, it's a common move. Uh, th that's fine. So just a little explanation there that I thought might be nice. He did get the holding call a couple times. And and obviously the Bengals felt like they could have gotten a couple more times where they felt like Bowles wasn't doing enough to recover after the rip move, to reset, to keep his feet moving, whatever it is. But regardless, Trey Hendrickson had a nice game. And so did Eli Apple. We don't have time to talk about Eli Apple, unfortunately, but we do have time to talk about the linebackers a little bit. Jermaine Pratt had another really nice game, although PFF wouldn't have you believe as much. I, I do think that the linebackers had some issues in the run game, so so maybe that's where that comes from, uh, especially when DJ Reader wasn't on the field, as we discussed. But 
made a great play downfield and coverage. And now the Bengals have to figure out if Marcus Bailey and Austin Calitro and whoever the heck else they can find to play linebacker, Clay Johnston can, can do what Joe Batchy was doing for them, which was actually playing decent linebacker. What did you see from this unit in this game, especially after Batchy went out? thought Bailey was fine. Uh, it, this is almost turning into Al Golden is the uh, linebacker whisperer of getting at least fine linebacker play. <laughs> and some of that's DJ Reader. Some of those, their jobs are easy when you've got DJ Reader in front of you. But yeah, every guy they keep bringing in, I, I, I'm worried at first. And by the time they've played 15 snaps, I'm thinking, okay, they're not a liability. They're not a guy like not to throw him under the bus, but you know, like a Preston Brown that they kind of target a lot because he's slow and can't move uh, anymore. Used to be a pretty decent player before he came to Cincinnati, but uh, yeah, these guys can move. They can play the job that they're tasked. And part of that is Jermaine Pratt. I think also that Logan Wilson was awesome. And what he does is something they won't replicate, but to be an average level linebacker in his position, it's not as difficult to, as Jermaine Pratt to me because like you just talked about with coverage, there was another awesome play that he has. And he's Tim Patrick runs a deep crosser over route. I'm sure everybody remembers the pass breakup, but for Pratt to, I think it was play action first. He steps up, sees the crosser, turns, run with it, robot. And he's sprinting stride for stride with Tim Patrick. And then not only Tim Patrick makes a play over him, Jermaine Pratt does the thing Trey Waynes couldn't. And he gets his hand in there and he rips the ball out. So it's just, you see the safety in him. You see the coverage skills. And now that he's playing, I feel like the game's moving slower for him. That's why he's having this good of a year. And it's finally stopped being so fast because when you move from safety to linebacker, the game speeds up. I mean, you're closer to the line of scrimmage. You, you're not taking your first step backwards every time. So well, I guess safeties don't always, but a lot of the time. Uh, so everything's happening so quick that, and the other thing is shedding blocks, but they almost don't even have to do that with DJ Reader. So <laughs> everything's moving quack, quacker, quicker. <laughs> oh God. Anyway, everything's moving quicker and he's starting to pick it up and he's, I don't know. He's, he's doing a fantastic job. I'd be more worried if it was, I mean, it would be surprising that I'd be more worried, but I'd be more worried if it was Joe Batchy and uh, Marcus Bailey because I'd wonder, okay, who's the guy that's going to be able to recognize what's happening, pick up vertical routes from wide receivers and things like that. Instead, they're replacing the same position, and while Logan Wilson was much better than these guys at that position, they're still performing at least average to me. Yeah, you credit Marcus Bailey at least for on a blitz late in the game. They, they show zero, and he drops out, gets in the lane of the crosser that Drew Locke is looking for, causes that little hitch and an overthrow as a result of the play. So Marcus Bailey, not your routine seventh-round pick I, or, or your normal seventh-round pick. I don't remember what exactly John Sheeran's words were on Twitter, but something like that. He, he has some upside is the point if he can stay healthy, and he's going to get a shot, I think. Because he was the guy after Batchy left the game. Also, just real quick, again, want to shout out Khaled Kareem. Had a really nice trio of plays there. I think we talked about them yesterday. Mike Hilton on review, I think, uh, did some things that have been pointed out that really led to some differences in the game. So shout out Mike Hilton as well. And that's about all the time we've got today. 
Mike, hopefully we get some good injury news from this team as this week progresses and they prepare to face Baltimore. This one, as have been many games in the post-bye period, remains vitally important to the Bengals' playoff hopes. And with James tomorrow, we'll dive into that and take a look at what they need to do to punch their postseason ticket. Until then, Bengals fans, find Mike on Twitter at Bengals underscore Sands. We'll be back tomorrow. Who day? And have a good one. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 